0: It was revolutionary, it changed music. But this week on Download This Show, 20 years on, does the world still have a place for the humble old iPod? Also on the show, the government's new proposed laws on social media use, why artistic nudes might now belong on OnlyFans, and the algorithm on the hunt for financial crime. All of that and much more coming up. This is your guide to the week in media, technology and culture. My name is Mark Fennell, and welcome to Download This Show. Yes, indeed it is. A brand new episode of Download This Show. Our guests this week, welcome back from the queens of the drone age, one of the queens. What's a plural of queen? It'd just be queens, wouldn't it? Anyway, Ray Johnson, welcome back to Download This Show. <laughs> Thanks for having me back, Mark. Uh, Dr Emily Vanderdagel from Monash University. Welcome back, Emily. Thanks for having me, Mark. The pleasure is entirely mine. All right, let's get into it. Uh, the government have proposed some new laws around social media use. Ray. Can I still log on to yes. Facebook? Is it illegal yet? What's the go with that?
1: No, you're allowed to do whatever you want, I think. <laughs> but, no, the Australian Federal Government, they've, they've proposed new legislation that would mean that anyone under the age of 16 would have to have permission from their parents to join social media platforms, which, oh, a bunch of red flags there for me. But social media companies under this legislation as well, they'd need to, and I quote, make all reasonable attempts to verify the age of users And they say the legislation would prevent social media companies from accessing children's data without the permission of their parents because, you know, parents really want to hand over their child's data as well. But it would mean that the social media companies under law need to act in the best interests of children when accessing their data. And we do know from Facebook's own research, particularly around Instagram, that social media can lead to issues with body image. This legislation could come as early as next year. And if they don't comply with the laws, they could be fined up to 10% of the company's annual
0: turnover. Okay, let's go through that step by step. Emily, how would you go about policing parental uh, approval of kids signing up for this stuff? Like, how would they actually get that?
2: I think this is one of the most interesting parts of the of the new legislation actually because immediately when people are trying to suggest that they're verifying the age or the identity of children I'm starting to think how are you doing that? Because, you know, children don't usually have things like driver's licenses or credit cards. Um, There are some kinds of formal identity documents that you can use there, but there are very few, I guess, um, reliable measures, uh, you know, that other companies have experimented with things like biometrics, you know, facial recognition. Does this face look like the face of a child? Um, Other things, you know, include But what if I do heaps of Botox
0: and And then suddenly, (laughs) like, I haven't thought that through. I already have the face of a chubby child anyway. Are there other examples of this working overseas, right?
1: Yeah, so the UK has their age-appropriate design code, which social media platforms like Facebook says that it has supported the development of and and works well with. Uh, TikTok, under this rule, has defaulted under-16-year-olds' accounts to private, which is not a bad thing in my view. Uh, And Google said that they weren't going to be tracking young people's ads as a result of this. So I think there are some positive elements of it. I think our code, though, I think it really needs to be looked at a little bit more carefully because the government says that this new code would not just apply to Facebook but also Google, Apple, Amazon, Reddit, OnlyFans, Spotify – multiplayer games with chat functions, basically any platform where its purpose is to enable online social interaction between two or more end users, is what it says. So this is really far-reaching legislation. It could even mean email. The Minister for Communications will be the one to decide which organisations this law applies to. It's not actually in the document itself. Uh, and you can also breach the code as long as you do it outside of Australia, according to the code itself. So, you know, this whole thing could have no impact whatsoever.
0: I guess the in that sense, it really does apply to those big sort of blue chip social media companies that do have offices and you know lawyers in australia that you can you can uh you can breach in person you can rock up to their offices it sort of leaves out in the open some of the i guess the smaller players or the players that don't have an official presence within australia ramley
2: yeah it does i mean it's always interesting to see how global media corporations have to negotiate individually with um with with all these kind of local and regional specificities and i think even this idea about you know what what age is appropriate for children to have their own social media accounts is it 13 because of the you know children's online privacy protection act in the us is it 16 is it 18 because then they're an adult in some countries even just that little question has a lot to it that really depends on so many kind of localized factors
0: Ray, is there stuff that you would like to see in legislation here that, that, that isn't there currently in, in the proposed changes?
2: Oh, look, it's, it's really
1: difficult, actually, because we don't know how even this legislation will be implemented. We don't know who's going to end up being targeted by it. I can understand it coming from a good place, but realistically... It's up to the platforms to solve the problems that they're perpetuating within those platforms. You know, anything imposed on them externally will, it'll be argued around. There'll be a loophole found. They've got these giant legal teams. I'm just seeing more problems being created by legislation like this, especially, you know, if we're asking kids to provide legal identification to these platforms, you know, under the guise of them not collecting too much data about our kids. That's just hypocritical to me. I... Uh, Look, I I would just rather see these changes come from the platforms themselves and I would rather them be real and heartfelt. They know that they're causing problems for young people and they need to address it themselves. It needs to come from the top. And in this case, it's the social media companies that are the top.
0: Download this show is what you're listening to. It is your guide to the week in media, technology, and culture. I guess this week, uh, Ray Johnson from the Queens of the Drone Age podcast and Dr. Emily Vandenagel from Monash University. Mark Finelli's is my name. And where would art be without nudity? Well, There probably would be a lot less of it. But what do you do with nude art in the age of the internet? Well, it seems, Ray Johnson, as we alluded to earlier, uh, OnlyFans, the sort of, um, let's call it a one-to-one subscription service for individual performers, which has become famous, I guess, for its adult content might be a refuge for art. Explain this to me, please. Absolutely.
1: Now, I actually first saw this news on TikTok, which is an absolute (laughs) sign of the times, is it not? (laughs) And it was the TikTok of the Vienna Museum who was saying that social media platforms, uh, the algorithms... They were flagging classic art, sculptures, other items for nudity and banning those accounts. So they've had to seek out 18-plus friendly platforms like OnlyFans where their content definitely won't be banned anymore. And I think this is just amazing because, you know, platforms like OnlyFans, I'm, I'm a firm believer that a lot of the advances in our technology are due to, you know, either the porn industry or sex workers pioneering spaces for themselves. And OnlyFans is a classic example of that. And now, thanks to their hard work and trailblazing, we can go see some uh, sculptures with nipples without being censored for it. So (laughs) wonderful work by the algorithms here on social media platforms, driving museums off, you know, the regular visible to everyone's social media spaces. It does blow my
0: mind that all of this sort of algorithmic machine learning that's designed to trawl different social media sites to look for adult content cannot quite tell the difference between porn and the (laughs) Statue of David, Emily. Like, I'm finding it... Kind of amazing that all of the billions of dollars that have been spent and they still can't quite define the difference there. I mean, maybe maybe the issue is, is context.
2: Look, we are in a fascinating place when platforms have to define what art is because <laughs> this they already is a define big... what
0: news is. I guess it's only one step, right?
2: <laughs> That's true. But, you know, an even slipperier category of, um, of what we can subsume under that large umbrella we call content. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, art is such a, a malleable and slippery. Everything to, to try to define. I mean, if I, you know, if somebody paints a picture, is it art? If they take a selfie, is it art? Like, like there are so many great questions here that I think the Vienna Tourist Board has waded right into. I think my, there's a beautiful quote by a, a, a Vienna Tourist Board spokesperson who said about this, it's not a good idea to let an algorithm determine our cultural legacy. And so, this intervention is such a brilliant move. Um, trying to put the spotlight right back on something that really, you know, why shouldn't we be allowed to see? There's who, a, who 14, doesn't love a good
0: nipple. There's a fourteen thousand word <laughs> essay in basically the argument that the algorithm is our cultural legacy, right? Oh. Like that, because like you think about our age, right? The the last ten years of our content. Algorithms have been essential to all of them. But I can't be bothered writing that article because it's too late in the year and I'm tired <laughs> and I dropped out of university. But, Emily, I'm sure you can find somebody that'll do it. I mean, look, there, there is a kind of an essential thing here that I think is worth talking about with, with OnlyFans itself. Like OnlyFans has become very much synonymous with adult content, but there, it does appear that there is a sort of a drive within that organisation to be known as something uh, in addition to that. They've got to be lapping this up, Ray.
1: Oh, absolutely. The amount of publicity that this is creating for OnlyFans as a platform, but also content creators on the platform as well. People have started to seek out other things that might be happening on OnlyFans because, you know, I've, I've actually not visited OnlyFans myself because you know i i didn't really have a need to go there but i can imagine now heading on there to see you know if people are cooking or You know, showing some behind the scenes entertainment industry stuff, or you know, just fun things. Because apparently, there's a lot going on there that I had no idea about. It's great.
0: I think that's the internet equivalent of saying like what they used to say in the 80s and 90s, where you're only reading the porn magazine for the articles. I think you just did (laughs) whatever the 2021 version of that was. Emily, do you think? Do you think that there's? uh, Do you think that um, OnlyFans? can migrate its perceptions away from, from adult content? Do you think it can? Or actually maybe it should it? Like is, does it need to?
2: OnlyFans would love it if people thought of the platform as broader than not safe for work, adult material, because OnlyFans is a, is a company that basically is trying to strategically reserve the right to de-platform sex anytime it wants. Um, there's always been this tension between how just how much um, platforms can get away with putting all this, you know, uh, salacious, juicy nude content up to draw in an audience because, let's face it, people want to see those boobs. Um, but on the other hand, trying to appeal to advertisers and um, and make sure that everything works smoothly with payment providers, these are very... Um, I guess, you know, conservative institutions. So when OnlyFans is trying to suggest like, oh, we're about more than just nudes... What it's trying to do really is make sure that if things start to get a little trickier on the, on the payment provider side of things, they can yank that content off whenever they want.
0: I just want to say reserve the right to deplatform sex is another great 14,000-word article waiting to be written. Oh. We are just tallying them up in this conversation.
2: Um, I've written one already. Have you really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, for porn studies.
0: <laughs> okay, okay. Tell me more about this. This I need to know more about. <laughs>
2: I wrote, I wrote an article, a, a journal article, what was it? Not 14,000 words, maybe eight, um, for Born studies uh, that was all about the way that OnlyFans basically has what I've, what I've called a contested platform imaginary. We all know it's for nudes... But the company is suggesting, no, no, it's so much more than that. Here, look at our artists, look at our chefs, look at our fitness people, um, and and it's a strategy. It's something that that we know has deep roots in the kinds of ways that um, sex and adult, not safe for work content is constantly tried to be pushed away from social spaces. I really feel like only OnlyFans is missing a huge opportunity to be a platform that says we support sex workers, adult performers, and adult content creators. We are here for them and we won't you know, censor them like, like they they have that opportunity right in front of the, their faces, and they just there's just that little I think you know aspect of the platform that might run into trouble a bit later if these financial institutions start to crack down a little harder. But what I want to see is OnlyFans really grab that opportunity. Like, like, wouldn't it be fantastic if one platform out there was going to do that important like, yeah, sure, financial. Economic, but also like cultural work of suggesting these adult content creators are valuable. People want to see what they do, they're skilled, they're creative, they're innovative and we respect and want them here.
0: And they also have agency on the platform, which I think is really the important thing. I mean, over the last, you know, 20 or 30 years, we've seen, particularly with the rise of things like Pornhub and and whatnot, so many adult performers having their agency, their access to being paid for their work just eroded by all these middleman organisations, whereas, you know, the incredible innovation of of things like um, OnlyFans, and I guess, you know, to step outside the world of adult content, your Patreons and whatnot, is that it actually builds that one-to-one relationship between consumers and the performers and yes basically only fans be nude and proud is, is the take of this lesson uh download the show is what you're listening to it is your guide to the week in media technology and culture and guess what turned 20 this week emily it's the ipod it is the ipod <laughs> yes the old ipod i mean how where would the music industry be without the ipod would it be better or worse do you reckon now you've got me
2: me imagining a a, a world basically without Apple, you know, which is, uh, which which is is kind of what it is,
0: because the iPod really redefined in many ways what Apple was known for, because it suddenly it really sort of pushed them into the space of handhelds. And I know that had other stuff beforehand, but nothing that really captured the imagination like the iPod. And of course, it also, you know, if you if you accept it being part of the broader music landscape of things like iTunes, it really changed the business of music as well, Emily.
2: Absolutely. I, I really feel like um, the way that the iPod not only, of course, like had this, this iTunes gated process to get music onto the device, but also how the iPod structured that music within the device was really important. We we saw a cultural shift with this, um, with this one way of configuring music where people were thinking about the shuffle and eventually thinking about playlists. It was... Atomizing music consumption, and I don't think that we would have quite the same um, familiarity and acceptance of the streaming if it wasn't for the iPod.
0: Ray, how do you think the the existence and the dominance of the iPod, the iPod rather uh, has changed the business of music?
1: Oh, so many ways. See, I I grew up in the Walkman era. You know, we're talking about twelve songs on a tape. That's what you could carry around, and then to go from that to be able to you know carry around a thousand songs, and for them to be digital as well. You know, that meant that you could download them, not just tape them off triple J. So, <laughs> you know, there was no iTunes store or anything like that back then. So people went to places like Napster and there was a lot of piracy during this era as well, because it was so easy to do. It wasn't even really technically defined as piracy at that point in time. Uh, the first iPod actually came with a sticker that said, don't steal music on, on it. So they knew the problem that they were creating. Uh, and I think also, it introduced us to the concept of the Apple ecosystem mm. for the first time back in the day because at first you needed a Mac you couldn't use it with a pc to That's begin right. with Forever. and it also cost like nearly nine hundred dollars so it introduced us to the idea of like exceedingly expensive handheld technology that was shiny and everyone loved and wanted
0: and we literally haven't gone back I mean <laughs> in terms of um I guess the extension of the iPod, which is of course the Apple Music Store or iTunes, um, that process. I mean, it's interesting the thing you were saying about the sticker because obviously they knew that piracy was a primary way in which people were getting access to music. But it, it, the argument has been put forward, and I'm keen to get your your view on this, that as much as they created a problem. There is an argument that they solved it by uh, by introducing something like the Apple Music Store. Emily, is that a fair assessment, or is it oversimplifying it to the extreme?
2: I think it's um if if that is the case, that's a genius move to <laughs> to try to set up piracy as as this uh, social ill that you can cure with more capitalism. Um, I mean, the way that they frame that is a huge success <laughs> in terms of revenue. <laughs> In terms of how it's benefited the music industry and artists, I'm less sure i mean don't don't we hear about how very little that artists actually receive from streaming culture versus people actually buying you know a cassette or a cd um but definitely trying to trying to have this and easy access to music um has i don't know connected more people maybe with a a particular you know locked in apple only infrastructure Um, has it ended up making sure that people go there instead of just a free download for music is that a better way of rewarding artists don't know
0: well I guess also right there's the issue of I mean buying an individual track or album on iTunes probably had more financial stability attached to it than the streaming universe now where you get you know a a quadrillionth of of a cent per stream was was that a better structure for for the music industry more broadly do you think
1: yeah, I I think it is a better structure than what we've currently got now, but it clearly wasn't sustainable you know, for consumers, I think. Yeah, if you're purchasing something you want to be able to hold it in your hand. I know that we live in a digital era, but for people to actually want to buy an album, they want to buy an album. This is why we saw a resurgence of vinyl records a few years back. If they just want to hear a song, they're going to subscribe to a streaming service. They're just going to pop it on a playlist and most people don't really think about the amount of money that an artist is receiving, you know, because we do have this mass celebrity culture that is marketed to us as being, if someone is famous, they're a millionaire. If I've seen them on television, they live in a giant mansion. So in our minds, all musicians are doing real well, whether they are just, you know, regular battling Aussie musos that you see down at the pub, if you see their stuff on Spotify, there's like a psychological switch that happens that goes, oh, wow, they're doing real well. So, I, I yeah, I, I just don't know. I don't know.
0: Right, obviously in the intervening years we've seen the introduction of things like the Apple phone, the the Apple phone, the iPhone. My God, I literally do a show <laughs> about technology. Um, we've seen the app <laughs> We've seen uh, the introduction of iPhones and, and other forms of MP3 players. Should they still be making the iPod, Emily? I, I mean, the one time where I can really
2: picture an an iPod having a lot of um of use to get, you know in, like as compared to an iPhone, an Apple phone, as Mike Finnell would say, um, is <laughs> I've copyrighted there's... it. It's
0: mine now. You can't have it, Apple. It's mine. <laughs>
2: Take that. With that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see how this goes for him um, you know is is that we're, we're talking about uh devices that predominantly work as part of you know the the way that we carry like mobile things we just want the one mobile thing which is the phone on us i don't know i feel like the ipod was so great for situations where either the phone battery wasn't there or the internet connection wasn't there Um, there are still plenty of places like Australia is a big big land and there's a lot of places where an internet connection is not very forthcoming Um, and hey whenever we get back on planes remember those Uh, it's kind of I think it does something else when you have music and sure you're not holding a CD or a cassette or a record in your hand um, but you do have the device that can play the song whenever you are wherever you are um, even if and an internet connection and your phone's out of batteries because you took 10,000 selfies.
0: <laughs> I also just <laughs> like the idea of something that can't do 100 things. You yeah. know, part of the issue with, with mobile phones or Apple phones, as I have uh, completely coined by myself with no help from anyone else, uh, is that they do everything. Like you can read articles, you can read Twitter, like there's the emails. There is something about the purity of purpose <laughs> behind an iPod that I think still has some romance, although I may be the only one that thinks that right.
1: No, I, th- I think it's the closest that a lot of us could comfortably get to a digital detox to be <laughs> able to just, you know, listen to our music in a way that is convenient to us, but we're also not contactable for that period of time. So, you know, you can chuck your iPod in your pocket and go, oh, sorry. Yeah, no, I didn't have my phone on me, but you can still listen to your music. I think it's a nice idea, but I don't think we're going to see more iPods in the future we haven't seen an update to the current one since 2019 and if they didn't do something for the 20th anniversary I don't think we're going to see anything in the future I'm going to predict making a prediction here
0: all right and finally here on download this show a researcher at Bond University has developed an algorithm that is designed to sniff out dodgy shell companies used by the rich and powerful tell me more about this Ray
1: I love this. I love uses of artificial intelligence in unexpected ways. So a, a list of 200 different shady companies they've been described as in this in this report uh, provided by an anti-corruption group. It was used to create an algorithm to spot these shell companies that are likely being used for illegal purposes. Now, shell companies are... They're legal business entities, but they can hide assets and launder money, and that's basically what they're used for. The algorithm can sniff them out, though, because often they exist in networks. They work and trade with each other. So you might have, say, 100 businesses located at one particular address, and then you've got one individual being the director of all of them. This is a red flag, but to search through databases of businesses to try to find this information would take a human being a really long period of time. So, in comes applied artificial intelligence to help us sniff it out.
0: Right? Is there stuff like this uh, already being used around the world, Emily, or is this kind of a bit new and exciting?
2: I'm not sure. I feel like uh, I feel like there's a whole lot of really necessary obstacles to people finding out this information and, and like Ray's suggesting, right. The purpose of having shell companies and of, um, you know, yeah, like having one person control all of these assets, but they turn out to be slightly different things. I mean, isn't that already a red flag? I know this would take a human a really long time to, to work out by themselves, <laughs> But I mean, we're talking about things that are already so dodgy that that they are on a list of like here are the whatever twenty most dodgy shell companies that we've discovered. I don't know. Like <laughs> like doesn't doesn't this really just reveal that <laughs> there's all this dodgy stuff going on already that we should know about? There's something really cool that they hope that this algorithm could be used for though,
1: and mm. that's help me just me specifically buy a home. <laughs>
0: I'm just trying to work out how you change the input to going, you know, sniffing out dodgy shell companies. No, 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 no. Find viable houses within this window, X numbers of kilometres away from schools and...
1: Yeah, look, it might it might benefit more than just me, just putting it out there. But yeah, they they believe that they have evidence that you know, money is being laundered, obtained by illegal means. That like to an extent that it is destabilizing the real estate market in Australia, because they've found evidence of this being the case in Canada as well. So they hope as they you know, refine the algorithm and catch more people engaging in dodgy behaviour that it'll help bring real estate prices back down. So thanks, AI.
0: Fingers crossed. Because <laughs> wow. it's not because real estate couldn't get any more expensive in this damn country, now could it?
1: Look, I'll That'll take any a, glimmer a... of hope I can get. <laughs> <That's>...
0: <laughs> all right, that is all we've got time for on the show this week. Uh, huge thank you to our guests, Emily Vandenagel.
2: Thank you for having me, Mark.
0: And Ray Johnson, one of the queens of the Drone Age. <laughs> thank you so much for being back. I'm done with the show. Thanks, Mark. And with that, I shall leave you. My name has been and will likely continue to be Mark Fennell. You can tell it's getting to the end of the year. I'm giggling too much. With that, I shall leave you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Download This Show.